to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution. I'm your host, Alex Huma, and I'm joined today by uh, an ex-Googler, uh, a former entrepreneur, uh, and now startup investor. Uh, welcome to the show, Elizabeth Yin, partner at 500 Startups. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. You know, it's, uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the, uh, on the show today. Um, so, um, you know, always, uh, you know, my first question is I, I, I like to ask the guests, you know, to provide a little bit of, in, you know, an introduction to themselves. So, uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't buck the trend uh, here, you know. So who is uh, Elizabeth Yin? Yeah, well, I hail from the Bay Area, the Silicon Valley. I actually grew up during the dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. And um, I got interested in running my own startup um, when my best friend from high school actually asked me if I wanted to help out her cousin over winter break with his startup. It turned out that that experience was amazing. I, I was just like blown away by how fun it was. Here was this guy working with all of his friends. And I knew from that moment on I wanted to build a startup someday. And actually, it turned out that guy was uh, Tony Shea, who runs Zappos. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, and so you, you've always wanted to build a startup. Um, then you obviously, you did build uh, a, a startup. Um, that startup, as I, I, I believe, uh, I think there was one or two, but uh, certainly the one that, that I'm aware of was, uh, was LaunchBit, uh, right? That's um, right. Yep. Yep. So, um, so w was that your first startup, or no? I mean, I've had a lot of failed side projects okay. and meandering. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I guess I mean I, I think perhaps every every entrepreneur has right. Um, so, but yep. uh, let, let, let's talk about LaunchBit, the one that wasn't a failed side project, uh, the one that was a real startup. Um, you know, what was LaunchBit? Yeah. So, just very simply, LaunchBit was an ad network for B two B SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think initially my co-founder, Jennifer, who is also the same best friend from this story who kind of introduced me to startups, she was my co-founder. And, uh, you know, we were trying to basically help marketers get new customers because this was like a problem for us. And so that's actually, you know, sort of how we meandered into an ad network. It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, I want to start an ad network. Most people don't do that. But that's what ended up happening. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And uh, as I understand, LaunchBit. Um, well, you, you you grew the startup, uh, or you know, uh, worked it for sort of three years before it was uh, acquired, right? That's right. Yep. We went through the 500 Startups Accelerator program, actually, which I'm now running. But this was a few years ago, and we were the second batch. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about then how. Like from origin or from inception, you know, launch bit, you know, was acquired within sort of three years. Um, so you you happy to kind of share, you know, some insights uh, in, into that, um, you know, with the audience? Yeah. So there were a few critical points in our journey. So actually, when we got to 500 startups with LaunchBit, we decided to completely pivot, and I mean, like, throw everything out. So we were basically starting from anew, and we were halfway through the program when we had nothing. And this is a really tough position to be in when you're in an accelerator because, you know, demo day was coming up in two months and we had nothing to show. And what I realized was, okay, working backwards, what is it that we really needed to show at demo day? Well, we needed to show some traction and we didn't have any traction. We didn't have a product. We, we didn't have anything, but it turns out you can get traction actually without a product. So uh, we decided to basically cut to the meat of what we needed, which was traction, and I started just pre-selling ads, which was the crux of the business, without a product. And marketers sent me money to my personal PayPal account, 
which, you know, is kind of weird and sketchy, but it worked. People, marketers did it. Now, obviously, not everybody bought, but um, there were several marketers who did. So I was able to generate, you know, thousands of dollars of revenue prior to demo day just from doing this. Okay, very, very cool, very cool. Um, so, and so you, you got some early evangelists, uh, I guess, kind of, um, you know, on board there, you know, buying the idea without the, the actual, you know, product being there um, uh, sort of initially. So when, when you went to, had, uh, you did demo day, uh, demo day um, at that point you, you had a product? Uh, Still not really. No, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so actually then the sort of second pivotal point was we realized actually that the most important thing that technology needed to achieve was to remove bottlenecks. And that was actually not a way I had thought about things before. Like, I'm an engineer by background, so the natural inclination is to just, you know, run and build cool things. But when you're running a business, like, the number one priority is the business, like sales. So um, the very first stuff that we built actually was just rudimentary you know, pixel tracking basically to track the performance of the ads because that's what our marketers were asking for. And so we slowly built, you know, the product over time based on what marketers really wanted in order for them to continue buying ads from us. Okay. Um, I mean, I think even one story is, you know, much later, several months later, we actually uh, decided to build out our own ad auction, uh, you know, a cost per click kind of model, much like how Google has or Facebook has when you buy ads. And it's not a trivial thing to build, building your own ad server and ad auction. And so the way we decided to concierge test this was, you know, in our interface on the web, you could bid, but when you submitted your bid for how much you wanted to pay on a cost per click basis for your ads, it, the bid actually was just sent by email to us. And we hand calculated how many impressions each of our advertisers should get based on that bid. And it was like literally manually concierging this. So it was super annoying when some of our early customers would change their bids like every 15 minutes because, you know, we were the monkeys in the back re yeah. rejiggering like how many ad impressions everybody had. But like this is how we built every single component of LaunchBit. We concierge tested it first in order to determine whether there was demand and then, and then built it. Okay, awesome, man. And what was the? So you mentioned there was kind of like three, I think, sort of you know critical sort of points. What was the? Uh, what was the third one? Yeah, the third one was, and this is what actually led to our acquisition. So at at some point we had decided initially our ad network was just focused on email newsletter inventory. So there are a lot of professional email newsletters that we were working with to essentially do these ad placements. But at some point, we realized actually it was really difficult to get more of that email ad inventory. And so we actually had expanded out. And one way that we expanded out was through partnerships. And so we formed a partnership with a company called Buy, Sell, Ads. And that partnership was, uh, you know, it was a monetary partnership where we essentially bought their extra ad inventory and sold it on a cost-per-click basis. And so we wrote them a check every time we did that. And so they could you know, they got to know us as a team, they got to know our product, they got to know how much money they could make, and that's eventually what ended up leading to uh, the acquisition with them. So they, Buy, Sell, Ads now runs LaunchBit, and you can still use LaunchBit today, and they, they run it as one of their uh, ad properties. So why did you sell when you did? Why did you sell after only three years? I mean, did they make you an offer you couldn't refuse, or, uh, you know, what, what was the, the reasoning? 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, I think a big learning from being in the ad business is it's um, very much a, I don't know, doggy dog world is the right phrase, but, you know, it, it, there's a lot of consolidation. So either you are the company who is buying everybody or you get bought. Like, that's basically how things go. And I could see that writing on the wall. So it was um, basically a matter of coming to the right terms. Uh, like, we pretty much knew that, at, you know, at some point we would be in one of the two categories. And I think secondly, if we were going to be in the category where we were buying everybody, that's a really long-haul play. Like, you're in that business for, I don't know, decades. I mean... Todd has been running, who the CEO of Buy Sell Ads, he's been running Buy Sell Ads for over a decade now. So you're in it for the long haul if you're going to be the one eating everybody. And I just, you know, philosophically and I think personally, you know, after a while, like the ads industry is not very personally fulfilling. So um, I personally would probably never do an ads business again. Okay. Was that, was that your kind of uber learning from the experience like not to be in the the ad business uh, industry again yeah i mean well so here's something that i think a lot about very deeply um you know when you're starting your business and you're very focused on trying to make it work like you don't always think about the long-term effects like what am i going to be doing 10 years from now but the reality is when you're running your own business like you could be running your own business 10 years from now assuming that things go well and you continue with it and so you've got to really be bought in philosophically. And like I said, it's not like we started out like trying to be an ad business. We just kind of followed the money, if you will, and that's where we ended up. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, like, do you as an entrepreneur set out a vision of like this is what I'm going to do? And if it's a you know slow haul, like do you keep doing it? Or do you kind of pivot into something that is much more lucrative, such as an ads business, which is kind of how we ended up doing that. I mean, like, there's a ton of money in the ads business, and it was not difficult at all to get customers. And you make the business work really well, but then maybe that's not what you set out to do. And I don't have a great answer for that. Um, but that is something I think about a lot today. Okay. Um, now, now, switching gears uh, a, a little bit, uh, I think this is a, a, a topic close to your heart, according to my uh, research, but um, so we want to talk just a little bit about hustle. Um, and uh, so, you know, what is your view on the importance of hustle for founders? Um, you know, and how can you learn hustle if that's not a natural skill? Oh yeah, for sure. So I, so like I said, I'm in, you know, I'm an engineer by training and and heart. And so actually, the early days of Launchbit were quite painful because you know between my co-founder and myself, like we're we're both engineers and neither of us had a sales background, but I think, you know, I'm definitely the more extroverted one and I was the CEO, so that meant that my role in order to make Launchbit a business was to sell ads and this was very uncomfortable for me. Like, I, I didn't know how to sell anything really and to pick up the phone and call random people you don't know and ask them for money is a very difficult thing and we don't learn this in school. So I think it is really important for founders to to be able to do that and put themselves out of their comfort zone. Um, as sort of an aside, actually, recently I launched a new site project called Hustleathon, um, which is very small and, and just in the Bay Area right now. But it's to try to help people do these like challenges that make you feel uncomfortable, like asking people for say ten percent off their coffee. Like it's you know, just simple things like that that make you feel really uncomfortable. But by doing that over and over, like, you actually improve your sales skills. 
And so I really think that for me, at LaunchBit, I was able to improve my sales skills by, you know, doing it for years. But what I wish I had done was I wish I had kind of honed these skills earlier in my career, like really just putting myself out there, whether it's, um, you know, doing something like Hustle-a-thon, there's also like rejection therapy online, or, or even just kind of making up your, your own little challenges, like just, just asking for things that make you slightly uncomfortable. I think that, that's a great way to practice. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, uh, Hustleathon, you know, sounds like a great initiative and uh, an event. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. It seems that, you know, topics like marketing and uh, um, you know other, other things they're taught at school and they're taught at, you know business school, but sales, you know, isn't taught right. And and oh. and the art of hustle isn't taught. It's just something that you just you know kind of expected to 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 do. So you know, if there is more. Uh, initiatives like Hustleathon, or you know, places where you can actually learn to sell. If that's not a natural skill set, you, you know, that's uh, um, that, that's a really great thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and now um, moving from uh, sort of uh, the, the Hustleathon into your partner at Five Hundred Startups, um, and uh, so why the move into you know VC land, or you, you know, why Five Hundred Startups? I, I kind of guess that uh, you know, as you've gone through. That program, you, you know, you've had those relationships, but why? Why didn't you do another startup? Uh, yeah, no. So that's a good question. Actually, I never have had any aspirations to be in VC. Um, but so the way that happened was after uh, after I left Launchbit, we had trans- transitioned everything over to Vice Labs. I was trying to figure out what to do next, and actually 500 Startups had an open position for an EIR role, and so that's actually what I had accepted um, initially to mentor some startups, and I felt like I could especially help on the B2B side of things. I think 500 Startups traditionally has been known more for their consumer investments, but actually in practice they have tons of uh, B2B investments that are doing quite well, including... Um, intercom out of Dublin and mm-hmm. TalkDesk. Uh, so in any event, like I was helping mentor some companies here at 500 Startups, and then one thing led to the next. I kind of just got sucked in and ended up becoming an investor here. And I think one of the reasons why is it's actually pretty unique to 500 Startups. Like it's a very 500 Startups is a very different kind of organization. Yes, we are investors, but we are also trying to do good for the startup ecosystems worldwide. We're trying to teach entrepreneurs customer acquisition. We do a lot around marketing and sales education. And, and, and so that really resonated with me kind of like along the same lines of, you know, how I ended up learning my own sales skills uh, along the way. Cool. And, and um, you know, I think I was introduced to you as uh, that, that, you know, Elizabeth Yin is the, 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 the B2B SaaS experts at uh, 500 startups. Um, I, I'm hoping that's true. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Um, obviously, you know, 500 startups, what you do, you know, one of the areas of investment you focus on is, is B2B SaaS. And uh, you mentioned some of the, uh, you know, Intercom and Talkdesk and some of the companies that have, you know, come out of uh, 500 startups or, you know, have received investment from 500 startups. So, so from, you, you know, the, the B2B SaaS companies that you've worked with, um, you know, what do the best ones do differently uh, than the rest, in your opinion? Yeah, well, so... <laughs> Well, that's a long answer, but um, I mean, so I actually think that um, the number one metric that early stage startups should at least be concerned with, early stage B2B SaaS companies should be concerned with is is churn, 
Um, I mean, I think, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of bloggers online who have kind of graphed out, you know, the effects of high versus low turn, because obviously in SaaS that compounds, or the recurring re revenue compounds, so it can make a huge difference down the road, even in just like two or three years. Um, so that's probably the one that most founders actually don't look at the most. Uh, a lot of people obviously are very revenue centric, but fixing churn is a, a big one. Obviously there isn't any single answer as to how you fix churn, because that very much is company dependent. But, but I'd say that what I coach most on here at the Accelerator is around customer acquisition. Sort of ironically, as I mentioned, you should look at churn um, before really trying to expand out revenue. But um, I coach mostly on customer acquisition here. And it obviously really depends on the company. For an enterprise company, and for us at Launchpad, we did a lot of outbound sales. Like uh, for all of your listeners who have read Predictable Revenue, or if you haven't read that book, like would highly recommend it. It's basically how do you build a process around selling where people have specialized roles at each step of the way, whether it's lead generation, you know, doing uh, cold emailing, setting up demos, or whatever. Um, that's something that I do a lot of coaching on, having learned that at Launchpad. And then for some SMB SaaS companies. Um, this is where actually I've learned more from my customers who are B2B SaaS companies, like, you know, a lot of techniques around list building, like doing, you know, cross-promotional partnerships for webinars or content. Um, that's something that we do a lot of coaching on here. Okay. And one of the things that 500 Startups does that looks uh, and sounds pretty awesome, um, uh, I don't know uh, if it's awesome by the end of the week, uh, but it's called Marketing Hell Week, so I don't know if you... You're putting, you're, you're putting them through torture um, or, or what it is. But, uh, um, yeah, let, what, what is Marketing Hell Week and, uh, you know, how does it help uh, your, your startups and your cohorts? Yeah, Marketing Hell Week is really hellish. <laughs> uh, it's basically back-to-back -back content. We bring in speakers from various companies, so not just the 500 staff, but from, you know, I guess growth hackers, if you will, quote growth hackers, um, from notable companies who come in and talk about everything. We start with the basics. A lot of founders already know the basics, but there are some who don't and have actually achieved a high level without knowing, you know, for example, how to use analytics. So we go through everything, everything from the basics to much more advanced topics around like building processes around your marketing or using, you know, for example, outsourcing effectively. Um, and we cover a lot of consumer topics like customer acquisition for, for consumer businesses, a lot of ads channels we cover including newer ones like um, how to navigate influencer marketing on YouTube or um, even how to use Pinterest or Instagram effectively. And then I think after the week is over, since we've packed in so much back-to-back -back content, we actually have a specialized um, B2B set of tracks like around sales education. Um, obviously, consumer companies can sit in on that if they want, but we do go through a lot of sales techniques, everything from calling uh, as well as to you know cold emailing and whatnot. Okay, and, and what what is the one thing from Marketing Hell Week that those that are not in the five hundred startups program you know should you know be doing for their SaaS startup today? I mean, is there one thing? But uh, what's what's one thing that you can recommend that um, you know from that particular week uh, that people should be doing? Oh God, that's tough. If I had to pick one thing, I would say you should read produce revenue and then if you want to expand out from there actually we now actually at 500 startups we now created a website for marketing health that is open to the public so everybody can access our content 
whether or not you are part of the 500 family and I can share that link with you later. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no, if you can share that with me, we'll, we'll share that in the, uh, in, in the show notes for the listeners and, uh, and, and that's a great idea, right? So uh, I love the uh, uh, companies that are open and you know, sharing, even if you're not part of the program, um, you know, to, to learn from what you guys are doing is fantastic. Um, so we, we, we're coming to the end of the, uh, uh, the podcast uh, episodes and uh, so the final question is um, obviously yeah, a little bit of a plug, uh, uh, a cheeky plug here for Sastock. Well, I like doing that. You know, I, I can do that, I guess. Uh, um, so you, you're, you're coming to Dublin in September, um, speaking at Sastock. Uh, um, you know, super excited about that. And uh, uh, obviously, as uh, 500 startups, B2B SaaS expert, we're expecting like huge things as, as well, right? Um, uh, what can we expect to, to hear from you? Um, uh, you, you know, um, what, what can the... Uh, the attendees of SASDOC, you know, expect to hear from Elizabeth here. Yeah, so first off, I'm excited about SASDOC. Uh, it'll be awesome. And uh, I like that it's a very specialized conference on B2B SaaS. So I'll be moderating the panel on the called the Data-Driven Marketing Playbook. And there'll be a lot of uh, great speakers on that panel from companies that you know, have gotten to actually quite a high level. And again, I think one of the things that's kind of lost on a lot of entrepreneurs is that Especially for B2B, like it's, it's, you know, B2B customer acquisition is not rocket science. It's very process driven and also very data driven. And so I'm excited about the panel because like the, basically the discussion will be about like, how do you put a process around something that is working? And I think a lot of founders get to the stage of, okay, I have some, some information about how I've gotten some of my customers, but they're not really sure how to scale that up. And that really is all about creating a playbook. And so I'm excited to, to be moderating that panel. Okay, awesome. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, uh, to, to seeing that as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, roll on September. And, uh, and you know, in the meantime, uh, you know, just to say great speaking to you, uh, you know, today. Um, you know, thanks so much for your time. Some uh, great sort of insights and, um, uh, you, you know, uh, for, for the audience, you know, getting to know, uh, I guess sort of you and 500 startups, um, you know, that, that bit better. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks so much uh, again for your time. Well, thanks a lot, Alex, and I'll see you in September. Yeah, see you in September. And for the audience, if you um, uh, like this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review us on iTunes. And we'll see you next time.